Um, it's basically cleaning up after ourselves and we should have done it all along and we'll have a little bit of a pill to swallow now as we transition to doing things in a little bit of a smarter way and it'll be a little bit costly and time sensitive, but um, you know, you don't walk around your house throwing litter wherever you go, you kind of clean up after yourself. And so we just should have been doing this all along and now we know better and we just got to kind of catch up. You are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that message was from Pete Davis, the CEO and co-founder of Greenprint. And in today's episode, I asked Pete how companies with strong eco-missions are retaining more employees and customers, a few examples of organizations making forward-looking decisions, and if he thinks the green biz movement is here to stay. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for the real Pete Davis. Enjoy. Okay, here we go in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is Pete Davis, the co-founder and CEO of Greenprint. Pete, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Happy to be here. Glad to have you on the show. And Pete, your organization, Greenprint, uh, awarded one of the Reallyers 100 Top Impact Companies of 2020. So we just want to say really quick, congratulations on that. And I think the people want to know first, how does this story go? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you, Kevin. I'm happy to be here and really honored to be one of the recipients of this award. I think, um, you know, unlike other awards that recognize most businesses for, uh, you know, growth or employee satisfaction, um, profitability, et cetera, the, the Real Leader uh, Impact Award um, recognizes us and others for, you know, what they've contributed, um, their purpose and vision and what they've given back to society, which we're thrilled about. And we'd love to be recognized for that contribution. Um, Greenprint is an environmental technology company. We um, run turnkey sustainability programs for small, mid, large companies, helping them uh, calculate their environmental impact, whether it's carbon emissions or water usage or energy usage, and then put in place steps to reduce that impact, and then finally maybe offset their emissions or that impact um, by investing in third-party projects that sequester carbon or uh, replenish water supplies um, or investing in renewable energy sources, certify it all and help them market to consumers, kind of tell their story. And so um, we've been in business for about six years, heavily focused on the fossil fuel industry and companies that um, kind of spend a lot on transportation, whether they have trucks or they're in the oil and gas industry, kind of burning traditional fossil fuels. Um, and last year, uh, we offset emissions on about 1.4 billion gallons of fuel, whether it was gasoline or diesel, um, planted about 100,000 trees and offset about 5 million tons of uh, carbon emissions. And talk about impact. I mean, that's crazy. 1.4 billion gallons. Uh, so, Pete, yeah. why six years ago, why did this company start? What's the story behind this uh, process? It's an interesting one. Um, and it all happened in the grocery store. So I was um, actually uh, asked. The, you said it in grocery by. store. I was in the grocery store. and I was asked <laughs> to swing by. You know, a lot of a lot of what we do. A lot of companies today kind of uh, are investing in sustainability because their shareholders and investors want it. It's you know ESG is a, is a big hot button today, largely because companies want to and, and nations and governments. Um, 
you know, are, are investing really because large stakeholders are asking to. And so if you think about a large Fortune 500 company investing in a sustainability program, it's really because they want to, you know, appease shareholders, publish a, publish a corporate report annually. Uh, we're more kind of grassroots consumer driven. And so um, my Genesis story, I was asked to go by my wife to go pick up some groceries. And one of the items on the list was eggs. And I was standing in front of the dairy case looking at all the different varieties of eggs. And um, the regular eggs on the bottom shelf were like $2 a dozen. And there were uh, eggs from free range chickens, which are really the same eggs, but we had treated the chickens humanely. Uh, and they were like $4 a dozen. Um, and I purchased those. And I chose to pay 100% more in that case. And I got like a little warm and fuzzy. And I was like, I just did something good with purpose. And I bought eggs with purpose. Uh, and then I swung by the gas station on the way home and I was buying fuel. And at the time, I think there was a lot of stories about, you know, Elon Musk inventing the new vehicle of the future. Um, but we were a long ways off from kind of realizing that new reality. And so I had the idea of, you know, um, cage-free eggs for fuel. And it was, let, let's start a program. And this was the initial business model uh, of Green Brent was let's start a program that enables a a gas station chain, a fuel retailer to sell carbon neutral gasoline. Mm, okay. Um, so we started off with that and our first client had four locations um, in Atlanta, which is where we're headquartered. And today we have about 4,500 locations. Um, and I already mentioned the gallon volume, but we've kind of grown significantly uh, over the last six, six years. So Pete, do you think, or do you believe at that time maybe, that the average consumer is willing to pay a couple dollars more than you know, to to have a, an environmental impact or a humane impact um, for for a product or service. Yeah, yeah. So um, so I did with eggs, and I think people do every day for various products in the grocery store and other services they buy. Uh, it doesn't cost a couple dollars for a gallon of fuel. It's more in the you know fractions of pennies or pennies range, and so. You know, our philosophy, and I think this is kind of echoed with when you look at consumer behavior is, you know, when, when, when given a choice, if it's easy to do the right thing, people do it. And so a good example um, is recycling. Um, when I was growing up, I grew up in Boston. When I was growing up, we didn't recycle. Um, it was really hard to do it. So you would have to, you know, wash out and rinse out stuff and then save it somewhere like in your garage or somewhere in the pantry and then find a recycling depot and put it in your trunk and drive to the recycling depot. And today, like 90% of consumers recycle because it's pretty easy to do. All you have to do is take a few extra steps to the blue bin. Um, and so, and I find myself every day, you know, I'm in my kitchen and the trash is right there and the recycling bin is a little bit further away from me. Um, and sometimes I throw things away. Most of the time, I'll take the extra five steps to the blue bin and I'll throw my recycling in, in the recycling bin. Um, and then I get that same little one fussy. You know, I went out of my way a tiny bit. I did it. I think if we make it easy enough, consumers will adopt it and do it. And, and that's our goal is not making it too expensive, not making it hard. We're not suggesting that people, you know, stop driving when it's inconvenient and ride their bike. Um, you should do that. But if it's hard and you got to get to work, you know, drive your car until an electric vehicle is available at a reasonable price that serves your needs drive your car and um, and we'll offset the carbon emissions and our clients will do that. So Pete, what about from, a, I like this a lot. Okay. So let's take this more for like the, the stakeholder versus shareholder approach, like the warm and fuzzy feeling and do shareholders 
want to feel a warm and fuzzy feeling or do they want more money in their pockets? Do you think, Pete, there's a trade-off between implementing sustainable solutions in your organization or do you think it's a smart investment for the long term? I think it's a smart investment and I think there's been a shift recently and historically sustainability initiatives were very efficiency and cost focused uh, and today they've become more value focused. Uh, and we're certainly one of the companies leading the charge on value. Um, and consumers, you know, have known this for a while. We're helping to continue to kind of drive that message home. But so we run a program. So a couple of our large clients, the Stop and Shop is a large client of ours, Circle K, 7-Eleven. When we run a program for them, um, it's soup to nuts. So we'll, we'll run uh, on the fuel side, we'll run a carbon neutral or reduced emission gasoline program that they offer to their customers at the pump. Hmm. Um, and you drive up to the gas station or the pump and you'll see signage. So for Circle K, you'll see Circle K Conserve is the branding and messaging. It'll say something like pump here, plant trees. Every time you buy fuel from us, we'll invest in neutralizing your carbon emissions. Really? Um, huh. And so we, we help with the consumer messaging, trying to make it easy and convey to shoppers and consumers that you know this is a competitive differentiator and our clients are kind of going out of the way to kind of solve an unmet need with that product interesting so you're so you're again i just want to relay this message just so i have yeah. it right with like 7-eleven yeah. gas stations at the sign the messaging the consumer messaging you're working on is hey people can feel good about getting gasoline uh if yeah. i if i if i don't have a hybrid car an all ev vehicle and right. i can't afford that just, i don't have the electricity outlet i live in an apartment or a condo yeah. i can go to yeah. a 7-eleven gas station and fill yeah. up my vehicle and you know out of the x percentage of my fill will go towards planting trees to offset my absolutely outlet. and you're not paying any more they're doing it because it's the right thing to do uh so with 7-eleven the program is called renew um, we're in about a thousand locations today and, um, every gallon of fuel they sell, we're calculating the tailpipe emissions and offsetting emissions and investing to reduce carbon emissions on those. And I would say, you know, it's not a crutch. We're not saying, and they're not saying we don't all, all have to reinvent transportation. We're saying until we get there, this is a, a bridge to that future. And we're going to do our part now until we're all driving, you know, reduce their zero emission vehicles. I like that. We can coexist, uh, build exactly. a bridge. Leaders build bridges. I like exactly. That. exactly. Okay. Okay. So what about, uh, like, okay. So I like this concept, uh, <laughs> with gasoline and, and the, an example that comes to my mind, Pete is BP. They come out and they say, Oh, we're going to make this, this marketing change to beyond P- petroleum. Yes. BP really yeah. BP is going to yeah. do that. Yeah, it, it, it got a lot of backlash from the impact community, a lot of backlash from just citizens in general, because it was just a, a greenwashing ploy. How do you look at organizations, or I guess for you, the organizations that are coming to you, Pete, are they coming to you for a marketing change or are they coming to you for an operational change? I would say it's a little bit of both. That's a great question. I, I, mean, I think large you know, traditional fossil fuel companies now couched as energy companies, you know, are kind of forced to make that transition. Okay. Otherwise, it's going to become irrelevant in 50 years. Sure. And so, you know, BP and others might be doing this for other reasons. Um, where we focus, and we have some clients that it, we work with purely on an operational basis to help with, you know, internal sustainability reporting for shareholders and other stakeholders. Our kind of initial focus and our core competency is really doing it on the kind of consumer value side. 
And we okay. think that it, it should not be something done for efficiency purposes, but should be done for value creation purposes. And we help our clients not only market to consumers, um, but also measure the impact of the program. And so we were able to show, you know, pre and post launching initiative with a client that brand loyalty goes up and that promoter score goes up significantly and customers direct more of their purchasing behavior toward our clients and those products and they promote it to their friends kind of across the board, um, qualitative and quantitatively, um, we're able to kind of measure a really positive ROI in the program. Okay, interesting. So you said, you mentioned brand loyalty. Uh, it, sorry, what was the other one? I think you just cut out. You said brand loyalty and what uh, else? A net promoter score. Net promoter so score, what's a, that? that's a measure of brand loyalty. It's, got, it's a consumer's propensity to promote a brand. Okay. To their friends and family and stuff like that. So by incorporating these environmentally conscious ideas, these value-focused uh, consumer messaging, you're finding there these companies are finding that they're retaining uh, customers longer. Interesting. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Is that is that like a uh, does that discriminate on any industry? I mean, is this just normal for for nowadays for any company t- uh, that implements something that's uh, socially responsible? That on average, like their brand loyalty will go up. They will in theory, retain more employees because people will be driven to this company because of their values? Yeah, yeah, I don't think it does. I think we you know we've traditionally okay. focused on the kind of hard to, harder to tackle yeah. industries. So gasoline is kind of an unlikely industry to be supporting this sort of thing. So gasoline and fleet vehicles, we have about um, 100,000 companies in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and Europe, most European countries where we're uh, receiving a data feed on their fleet trucks about a million trucks, we uh, they send us a data feed telling us how many gallons or liters of diesel they're burning or gasoline every month, and we're calculating and offsetting their carbon emissions. And so we're not only do it for the the retail gasoline side of uh, the industry, but also kind of wholesale and working with fleets, um, kind of corporately, so companies can you know, help bridge that transa- transition to kind of a, a new economy if and when electric trucks become thing. That's so cool. Yeah, it's it's very difficult for a lot of organizations to measure their their carbon footprint. Uh, exactly. What are so okay? So we have carbon, water, plastic, and renewable energy. Those are the core focuses. Yes. How do how do we measure? You just mentioned uh, the burning of of, ga- of diesels, of gasoline. I'm sure barrels yep. of gasoline yep. with fleets. What are some other ways that you measure your organization measures? Um, uh, ex- give me maybe give me an example of a company and like how how like do you measure measure the measure the environmental yeah, impact water waste plastic waste renewable yeah all that yeah yeah so you know there when you think of sustainability there are other factors besides environmental right the sure. social impact and other things we kind of heavily focus on the environmental impact right and we've chosen to focus on uh, energy uh, greenhouse gas emissions um, water waste and plastic because those are hot buttons and things that, that we feel passionate about and we could uh, have a solution to address them all. And so I think I gave you a couple of examples of, um, of carbon emissions, mostly in those examples related to transportation. Um, some examples of others are um, we've got a, a consumer package solution that we launched last year. Um, it's relatively new for us. And basically we're, we work with uh, consumer package companies, you know, back to the grocery store again that sell their products. Uh, in grocery stores to consumers, um, and we help them. Um, we've got a database uh, that we created that enables us to calculate the environmental impact of uh, basically any product sold in a grocery store. Um, hmm. And we can, based on industry averages, calculate the water, 
energy and carbon footprint of a particular product. Um, most mid to small size consumer package companies don't have that information. So we can provide that information kind of appended to their uh, kind of details of their product and then we can offset the emissions. And so we do that uh, carbon, as I mentioned, by investing in projects that sequester carbon, um, water, we work with folks like the Nature Conservancy and a couple of other partners. Um, cool project in California actually that, that uh, uh, installs underground drip irrigation in drought in areas to um, enable farmers to reduce their water usage by like um, 90%. That's um, all related to alfalfa farming. And so basically we'll, we'll go fund a project like that and, and claim and measure the water reclamation that's being saved um, to have a client be water neutral. Uh, and then we have a neat plastic solution. So based on the, the kilograms of the weight of a plastic container, um, most folks are trying to figure out how to reduce their packaging size so they use less plastic or um, or use new materials that might be compostable or biodegradable. Um, there really aren't fantastic solutions out there yet, so most people are still using plastic. And so we've got a solution that basically offset, offsets plastic usage. So for every, um, we've got a client, um, Freon yogurt. So for every yogurt container they sell, we work with partners globally to basically um, upcycle plastic. And so we basically pay people to go pick up plastic litter, put it into the recycling stream before it gets into the oceans, and we do it proportionately on, on a weight basis. So for every unit they sell, for every kilogram, we'll go pull a kilogram out of the environment and, and recycle it. That is so cool, Pete. I think that's fascinating. We, we've, we've talked to a lot of companies they're just trying to replace the entire system. Like they're all about systems change. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, like a grocery store, your example, you, that's so cool. You can measure the, you know, the water usage for the paper bags maybe that they have or the, the paper plasticing, uh, plasticing, the pa paper yeah. Uh, yeah. packaging, yeah. excuse me, yeah. the plastic packaging. You can measure those, those, uh, those metrics. Um, so whereas they're trying to completely replace that, you're basically just saying, hey, look, grocery store, if you want a, a better brand loyalty, you're going to have yeah. customers coming back. Well, we can just offset this. We can just, yeah, well, we can just, just I mean, yeah, Kevin, I think we, they're all important, right? So I think the work that they're doing in that example to replace it and find an alternative is that's the end solution. Totally. And yes. we're saying, you know, let's start the discussion. The bridge, can the be, bridge. Be a first mile or a last mile, right? So we can help you. We're part, we're one, you know, tactic to take, you know, not, not necessarily the end game. So back to electric, you know, transportation, electric cars with a clean utility grid or probably that's the end game solution. Um, we're, we're one step to get there. Right. And the right. way to start doing something now. Exactly. The bridge, the bridge, yeah, yeah, the you're bridge. building the exactly. bridge yeah. and, and it's, it's, uh, it's coexisting too. I like that word. It's, right. it's coexisting right. with, with nonprofits. Now, a lot of people think, you know, it, those silos need to be separated. Whereas the bridge between those is what you're doing with the nature conservancy in California. Right. Um, and, and I think an interesting point to make for our audiences is, is if, I'm going to buy carbon credits or whatever, you know, have a carbon offset like with the uh, 7-Eleven. Yeah. The carbon I'm going to be able to take out in America is the it's the equivalent to the carbon I'm be able to take out in China because we all share the same earth. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's the same thing yeah. everywhere. So your impact yeah. in one place is going to be the same impact in another. So it really doesn't discriminate that way. Now, the question I have for you is what are you seeing for uh, organizations' uh, strategies to choose a specific 
offset program or a specific program that tailors to their customer. For instance, I'm on a, a men's shave site yesterday and they have a 1% back to men's health. So yeah. therefore, they're probably uh, saying to the end user, hey, I'm a customer. Hey, we're going to be supporting men's health. Whereas yeah. if I'm a plastic you know, packaging company or I'm a grocery store, we're going to say if we have a lot of plastic. We're going to be, like you said, we're taking that plastic before it gets into the ocean. What are you yeah. seeing from organizations and how they choose what type of program they want to implement? Yeah, so I think um, sometimes organizations are all over the board. And, and are not that sophisticated. And it might just be, you know, shop here and we're going to donate the money to, you know, our okay. owner's favorite charity that they have an affinity to. And I think um, you see some that are smarter. And, and in my mind, it's all about, uh, you know, a, a link and an affinity to the product that's being purchased or the consumer. And so the reason why you're giving back and offsetting and, and tackling a, 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 an issue is because, um, some stakeholder has uh, an affinity toward that issue and they're going to be happy that you're doing it. So we like to tie our services toward the product that's being consumed. And so when you're, you know, driving a combustion engine vehicle or you're buying a gallon of fuel, uh, you are by default going to go burn it and release carbon emissions. And so, you know, offsetting those emissions is is 100% applicable to everyone who's using that product. Mm. It's not like we're saying buy this fuel and we're going to give money to you know, the Red Cross, which is a great organization, but it's not necessarily relevant to everyone who's a consumer of that product. And so it's kind of like the one-for-one, you know, buy a pair of Tom shoes and we're going to give a pair of shoes to someone um, model. Okay, okay. I don't know. I think that answered your question. Yeah, no, it did. It did. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so now uh, I'm I'm thinking like future trends in in business. Uh, A lot of the the organizations and the, the CEOs that come on the show say, you know, I fear the organizations that haven't caught up yet or aren't catching up because consumer demand and and the polarization now, social media and, and uh, the next generation and our generation, they're so adamant about climate change. Do you fear for organizations who haven't taken this next step or started the bridge to sustainability are going to be left behind? Uh, I don't think so. Um I believe that there's a unique opportunity now because um, most organizations that have been doing it haven't really communicated it well, mm. and they publish an annual sustainability report, but they're not really talking about it to their key stakeholders who are their consumers and customers. And so I think there's okay. an opportunity to start fresh and start communicating it. Nice. Uh, even some of the larger organizations that we work with and we talk to, um, you know, they've done done a tremendous amount of things related to sustainability, investing in alternative energy sources and reducing their impact, et cetera, et cetera. But no one knows about it. And so um, I, I think that now's a great time to start. Uh, I think a great I think it's an old Chinese proverb. Um, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Uh, the second best time is today. And so let's get going. And it's not too late. Interesting. Now, have you had the chance to visit any of these tree planting sites? Like, how do you vet these nonprofits? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, w- I would say it's been interesting. A great uh, evolution for us as a tiny company six years ago. Um, you know, our first year, based on our volume and our clients, maybe we offset fifty thousand tons of carbon, and we were really a buyer of carbon credits. Um, they were third-party projects. We didn't meet the project developers. We were just kind of buying them. 
uh, you know, really arm's length. Uh, today, um, we offset about 5 million tons of carbon a year, and we're, um, we have an R&D fund, and we're kind of seeding projects and, you know, starting new ones that will take a few years to come to fruition and really large investors and other ones. And so, um, whereas we used to just kind of be buying a tradable instrument, um, today we're doing a lot more cool, sexy things. We're creating projects from the ground up. Um, I think um, last year we had about 85 uh, local tree planting events that we sponsored with our clients, with folks like the Arbor Day Foundation, the Nature Conservancy, and they were in the cities where our clients operate and they were volunteer events for our clients. So we had, you know, probably over those events, a couple thousand volunteers show up and participate in the events. I've done a few myself and our team participates in most of them. Um, in addition to that, we plant trees in the national forest um, and, and do a bunch of other things that are really kind of tactical and hands-on. And that goes to show that I'm sure a lot of your employees are tied heavily to this environmental cause. Uh, have you found that to be a trend? And are a lot of the people that are coming to your organization, applying to these jobs in your organization, do they have similar tendencies? You know, that is an awesome question. And um, I would say early on, um, most of the folks that I interviewed that wanted to work here were environmentalists. And they didn't care about the business side. It was really philanthropic and wanted to give back and protect the earth, et cetera, which is extremely important. And I think we found over time that um, a lot of the folks that work here are really, they're pragmatists and they love the fact that this is good business. And they love the fact that we can find a great intersection between, you know, philanthropy, philanthropy and commerce. And um, that there's, uh, people don't, at least our clients don't do it because it's charity. They do it because it's good business and their customers like it and change their behavior because of it. Um, and I think that's the way it's become so scalable. We're not asked out, we're not out asking for donations. Um, we're out saying, Hey, do this. It's good business. There's an ROI tied to it. Um, and that's how we've been able to scale, kind of justify increasing kind of our spending, getting back to the environment. Um, and so, you know, uh, maybe driven by the millennial generation, but, you know, being an environmentalist is just table stakes now and, and not kind of a fringe kind of green movement. So any generation wants to do better. Any generation wants to give back. It doesn't matter who you are, but there, there seems to be this consensus of millennials or Gen Zers or, you know, the Greta Thunbergs of the world who are adamant about this topic. Uh, but if you look at where we were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it's never been a better time to live. And right. it just hasn't. Uh, so what do you have to say about, uh, to you, I guess, is this a trend that we're seeing right now or everyone's uh, very focused on using business as a market-driven solution? Or do you think this trend, this, uh, this idea that you know, market-driven solutions can take on these problems like yourself can really have an impact and sustain throughout time? Yeah, yeah I don't think it's a trend. Uh... I feel like this is here to stay and it's just the smart thing to do. So um, driven by efficiency initially and reducing costs, you know, being more sustainable, leaving less waste, is just the right thing to do. Um, it's basically cleaning up after ourselves and we should have done it all along and we'll have a little bit of a pill to swallow now as we transition to doing things in a little bit of a smarter way and it'll be a little bit costly and time sensitive, but um, you know, you don't walk around your house 
throwing litter wherever you go, you kind of clean up after yourself. And so we just should have been doing this all along. And now we know better and we just got to kind of catch up. Uh, Pete, a lot of organizations believe in this, uh, uh, this idea of a triple bottom line, people, planet and profit. You're measuring something beyond the balance sheet. Does your organization measure anything beyond the balance sheet? Yeah, I mean, we measure our environmental impact, which is um, a byproduct of what we do. And so not only corporately for, you know, our small growing organization, but for all of our client programs. Um, and I've, I've quoted some of the larger stats in terms of volunteer projects, trees planted and emissions reduced. Um, but we are um, a, a B Corp. And so we have a fiduciary obligation to our shareholders and stakeholders to kind of have that triple bottom line and not only try to maximize profits, but also, you know, have that kind of philanthropic uh, social purpose. Pete, when you started this six years ago, uh, did you ever think you would be in this position today and maybe tell our audience the first story of you, the, maybe the first sale or uh, the first bit largest sale that you had had? Yeah. So I thought, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you put together a business plan and you start playing with Excel and dragging out kind of the numbers, I thought we'd be here in like year two <laughs> and I was obviously wrong and it's happened to me previously. Um, but I really never expected that we would be kind of thriving after six years and have, you know, be doing over a billion and a half gallons. I think this year we'll probably be close to 2 billion gallons um, and have such an environmental impact. Um, and so I, I'm thrilled with our uh, traction and success to date. Um, I think, you know, we had a story and this is a uh, this is funny because they just announced they're going uh, carbon neutral. Um, our first client that had four locations was a a, a a local station owner in Atlanta that were BP sites. Um, we ran a carbon neutral fuel program for them, and the data was great, and their volume was up. Customers loved it, um, and uh, we, after about a year in market, we got a nasty letter from someone at corporate. He said, "What are you doing?" You know, it's our sites, our brand, um, and they and they kind of forced our hand and made us uh, shut down the program, which I thought was kind of interesting hmm. and counter to, um, you know, what how I thought they would react. Um, and so that was that was our only client at the time, and that was like a aha moment. And a, you know, there were four or five of us in the organization, and that was not a fun week, a weekend after receiving that letter. And we kind of weaved through it, persevered, and launched a, a larger program with similar branded sites after getting their approval. Um, so it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. Uh, and that was an interesting moment, uh, six months in or a year in. From all the clients that you've been able to work with, mm-hmm. to you, when it comes down to it, why do you think they choose uh, Greenprint? You know, I think we, we do what we do well and we care. Uh, and, you know, you can ask any of our clients or partners who we work with. Um, we do what we say we're going to do, and we're kind of buttoned up. So uh, our goal is to make these programs easy for clients to implement so we can build and launch a program like branding, website, all the uh-huh. uh, certifications, et cetera, in like 45 days. Um, and we can make it easy so our clients don't have to even have one full-time sustainability person. It can be kind of a, a part-time a person that joins a call every two weeks and, and uh, we work like a sustainability agency. And so um, we have uh, a large uh, top three accounting firm who 
uh, attest to all of our calculations and provides reporting to our clients. And so um, they don't only have to take our word for it, but this large accounting firm, uh, E&Y, will do it. And um, we also work with large, reputable nonprofit organizations who also provide kind of credibility and attestation to our clients. Um, so when we nonprofit pro uh, program with the Arbor Day Foundation, we um, support a project of tree planting. Our clients receive reporting from the Arbor Day Foundation. Um, and so, you know, we take pride in what we do and um, we're above board and, you know, try to leave every situation kind of better than we found it. Uh, Pete, this has been an incredible conversation for me. The, the major theme I've been able to pick up is just this coexistence and this bridge building concept and working with the, the nonprofits and, and the people who want to take that step to how it is also helping out with their brand loyalty and, and uh, hopefully creating them more profits in the long term. Uh, it's, it's, it's been really revealing today about the type of company that Greenprint is. And so uh, to bring this full circle, Pete, the last question I have for you today is, is what is your definition of a real leader? I love that. It's, it's evolved over time. Um, I think there are foundational pieces of leadership that are kind of table stakes that you, you need to have. Uh, and those are, you know, trust and fairness and respect and working hard in the trenches with your, with your people and your employees. I think an overarching one that I've learned over the last six years is, um, is purpose and vision. And so uh, I think a real leader is someone who has all the foundational items, um, but also um, who has a sense of purpose and a vision that people can identify with mm. and rally behind. A vision that people can identify with and rally behind. Well put, Pete. Appreciate you coming back on the Real Leaders podcast today. For Pete Davis, the CEO of Greenprint, I'm Kevin Edwards asking to go out there. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Have a good one. You too. I appreciate it. All right, good people. And thank you for tuning into this episode of the Real Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you're doing the right thing, staying at home, staying away from that crazy neighbor, we just want to make sure that you're staying with us. So make sure that you hit the subscribe button to start receiving notifications of this Impact Leadership Podcast to get you through your week. And for lucky listeners out there today, well, you're going to walk away with a free magazine. All you got to do is go to real-leaders.com slash subscribe and use coupon code podcast25 at checkout to receive your first magazine for free with a year subscription. That's right, folks. Four magazines for the price of three. Again, that's coupon code PODCAST25, all lowercase. All right, folks, that's it for me. Thanks for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode.